0: by your name would you block anything i would say that is wrong or unworthy of you and father i pray we will leave here just with our hands over our mouths because you are so great and we give you praise in christ's name amen okay so i want to tell you a little story um This year, for Christmas, um, we were in Colorado. We weren't here. And so on Christmas Eve, as we always do, whether we're here or away, our family gathers together and we go to a Christmas Eve service. So this year, we're in Beaver Creek, Colorado. It's beautiful. There's snow everywhere. And so John and I, along with two of our daughters and their families, there were nine of us, we bundled up and we walked in the snow down to the village chapel. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapel. And we went there for the Christmas service. Now, when we went there, and this is really true, this is something that even our teenage grandchildren, we look forward to hearing the Christmas story when we go. It's just... The birth of Jesus, I mean, we want to hear that. The beauty of the promise made so very long ago, the gift of gifts. So we like to sing Christmas carols and to hear that story. But this year, we heard quite a different message. Now, I want to tell you how it was introduced to us. It was introduced to us, this is Christmas Eve, by a trio who sang, Always Be Humble and Kind. It's a song from Tim McGraw. It's a country song. Of course, they couldn't find any Christmas carols, I guess. But anyway, that's what we heard. And then the pastor, and I say that generously, (laughs) began telling us how he loved that song how he couldn't get enough of that song, how that song was changing his life. And he told us about a broken relationship he had and how that song has reminded him he needs to do something about that. He hadn't come to a conclusion what that was going to be, but he had to do something about that. And he went on for a while. And then he called the children up. And he gave them an envelope... And he told them that what they were to do is to think of something that they could do that was humble and kind, write it down, send it in to him, and he had put it in the newsletter and they could read about what they had done. Now, what that is about humility, I don't know, but that's what he told them to do. Now, um, that was the Christmas message we heard. Now... I may do this again. I cannot tell you how upsetting that was to me. We were in a ski resort. The church was full. There were undoubtedly a lot of unbelievers there. And that was the message they took home from them. Because this is how he ended. He said, I tell you this because that is the Christmas message. Well, for days, for a couple of days, I was just, it just really (laughs) took my breath away that that's what I heard. So I sat down one day when I had time to myself, and I listened online to the sermon that Ryan Moore gave on Christmas morning here. And it was from John 1, 9 through 13. I'm going to read that to you. It was this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the title that Ryan gave to that was, What Are You Receiving? And the essential message was, and I can't do this justice in this. I hope you'll listen to it. It's a beautiful sermon. But the essential message was that, the, that Christmas is not about giving, but about receiving. It's about receiving a free gift. It's about someone coming into this world to give a gift for all who can receive, and it's a gift so infinitely great that there is no way we can ever repay it. There is no way we can earn it. It's a gift which can only be received. It was the gospel. It was beautiful, And it filled my heart. Now, I need to tell you that when I heard that, I cried. I'm not a huge crier, but I cried. And I think I cried one of those women kind of cries. (laughs) It's one of those that you don't know quite why you're crying, but it's about everything. (laughs) And that was what was going on in my heart. I cried Because there are so many pastors out there who tell a false gospel. I cried because there are churches like Trinity and Fort Worth Press who have faithful, godly men who want to tell the gospel, who tell the gospel over and over and over, and they never tire of it. I cried because there was a baby born in space, time, and history who was God incarnate. And there were lost people who needed to hear that message. I cried because Jesus came as a baby and he grew into a man. And he lived on this earth. And he experienced everything and he suffered sorrow. And he learned obedience through the things he suffered. I cried because he died on a cross and bore our sins and faced God's wrath. I cried, my friends, because he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. I cried because all of this is true. And I cried because it's all a gift and it's not dependent on me or on you, but on God's promise and no matter what any skeptic says and no matter how man tries to speak a different gospel, this is true. This happened in space, time, and history, and it's an unspeakable gift. And it meant so much to me to hear Ryan's sermon that day. Now, at the same time, then, I began working on this passage. I cried again. (laughs) Because you see what this passage is telling us is Jesus has not stopped giving. Because he's our great high priest who always lives to make intercession for us. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The last time we met, we looked at Jesus as our great high priest. And the author's purpose, when we looked at chapter 7, verses 11 through 28, his purpose was twofold. It was to show how Jesus is far superior to the Levitical priest, But it was also to show how Jesus has these unique qualifications for this office of high priest. And then in chapter 8, which we looked at for today, we're going to see that Jesus not only has the qualifications, but he serves the ministry of a great high priest. So, a very brief review of some of the qualifications. It's not that brief, but a review of the qualifications of our great high priest. Okay. The first thing we learned a few weeks ago is that Jesus can bring us to perfection. And I love that. And I think that's so important. And I want to briefly define what perfection means. We talked about this, but perfection means the bringing of something to that completeness of condition for which it was designed. I love that. That Jesus can bring us to the perfection for which we were originally created. And it means, doctrinally, that he can produce some way for a full and final relationship between God and man because that's what we were created for was to have a relationship with God. And the passage in chapter 7 says that the former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. In other words, that old system was there for a purpose, it had a purpose, and it showed us things, but it could do nothing to make us perfect. It could create longing in us, longing for something else, but it couldn't make us perfect. This priest, this perfect priest, who needs no sacrifice for himself, but offers the only perfect sacrifice, has made us perfect. Now, we also learned that he is our eternal high priest, and he has an indestructible life. The question comes up, well, did he die on the cross? He did, but death could not hold him. And he rose again. And he lives forever. The priests of the old covenant were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing, but not so our great high priest. He is our great high priest forever and ever and ever. We also learn that he is an the oath-receiving priest, and because of that, he is the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus' priesthood is promised and assured by God's oath. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. But in being that priest forever, Jesus is responsible for being the covenant-keeping priest. That's what a priest does. He keeps the covenant. And he will keep this covenant, and he is keeping this covenant. The priests of old did not have an oath. And they did not, they were unable to keep the covenant, but not so our priest. We also learn he is a priest who saves to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He has removed every barrier and he has brought you all the way in. You will not be denied entrance. He is bringing you in. He is praying for you and he always lives to make intercession for you. And he says, come in. Come in boldly. And then we learned about the uniqueness of the Son, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, because no other was fitted to fulfill all that was needed. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people because it is finished, since he did this once and for all for the sins of his people. The law appoints men in their weakness, but the word of the oath appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Okay, those are his qualifications. He is a great high priest. He will never fail us. And so we come to our passage for today about the ministry of our great high priest. And it begins with this statement. It's almost as if the author is saying to us, look, we've been talking about so much. We've been talking about so many things, but I want you to just listen and think about. I want you to understand the main point of what I have been saying. The main point of what I have been saying is this. We have such a high priest. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, in one sense, it means everything. It means everything we've been studying all the way up to here. It will mean everything to the very end. It means, for example, what we studied the very first lesson, when it said that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, And he is the radiance of the glory of God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In other words, from the very beginning, the author has been preparing us to understand that we have such a great high priest, but there's something else here. This high priest is also the Son of God, eternally, forever, the Son of the living God. But it seems that, although that's true, and although that's part of what the author is talking about, it seems that what he wants is to really understand is that he's bringing us to focus upon Jesus' ministry in heaven. He is a priest with all those qualifications and is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and the author wants us to know what that means for our lives. But it's interesting, because in full to fully understand and grasp the wonder of Jesus as our great high priest, we must understand how he got there. You see, chapter 7 ends with this. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son. And what does it say? Who has been made perfect forever. How is the son made perfect forever? The answer is by his priestly work on earth. In chapter 2, verse 10 of Hebrews, the author writes this. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. In chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of of Melchizedek. What does it mean that Jesus was made perfect through suffering? This is what one commentator says. He says, by taking up human flesh, by living under the law perfectly and fulfilling it perfectly, by sharing our sufferings and sorrows, and by experientially learning obedience through what he suffered, and then by offering himself in our place as the spotless Lamb of God, Christ perfected and, or completed, that word's the same, the work he needed to qualify him as our high priest. Now think about this. Jesus had to take on flesh. If he was going to be our high priest, he had to become like us. If he was going to be a high priest who understood us, he became like us. He took on flesh, and he knows what it is to suffer temptation. And he knows what it is to see sorrows. And he knows all of these things yet without sin. He had to be perfected for that moment to go to the cross and be the perfect sacrifice because he lived perfectly. He did what we could never do. He did what those high priests could never do. And now, at this moment and every moment through eternity, he is qualified to be our great high priest. Jesus, in his being, was perfect always. But in his work of redemption, he became perfected. Each step, each moment, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. He took on human flesh. He lived perfectly. He fulfilled all the requirements. He learned obedience. His mission on earth was completed perfectly. No matter the suffering, no matter the abuse, no matter what, fa- ha- what he faced, no matter the, the accusations and the temptations that Satan threw at him, he overcame them. He made it through them. He was perfect, and he could enter in to the Holy of Holies, and there would never be another reason for him to offer another sacrifice. And so chapter 8 begins and he says, now the point of what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now the next thing we learn is this, Jesus couldn't remain on earth and be our high priest. He had to go to earth, he had to offer the sacrifice, but he couldn't remain there. The passage says if he remained there, he would not be a priest at all. Well, why is that? Well, first of all, because he was from a different order. Let's see, You see, he was not from the line of Aaron. And the, and the priests on earth offered gifts and sacrifices according to the law. And the law said what? You had to be a priest according to the order of Aaron. Jesus was not that. But there was another reason that he couldn't remain on earth. And the reason is because that tabernacle, that place, those priests were a shadow of heavenly things. And what that means is they were for a moment. They were serving a pattern. They were a shadow of the true tent. When the tent was built, it was built according exactly to the design God gave them. And the design was a pattern of the heavenly tent. That tent was always meant to be temporary. It was always incomplete. It was a shadow. It was meant to create longing in our hearts that we would have something that was final, that there wouldn't be all this blood and all of these goats and all of these bulls and all of these lambs that were sacrificed, that there wouldn't have to be another sacrifice. But it never happened there. It was never meant to happen there. Because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away our sins. And so our great high priest could not remain on earth. He came for the purpose. And the purpose was fulfilled. And he ascended into heaven. And my friends, when Jesus died on the cross, what did happen? The curtain tore. The way into the Holy of Holies was opened. And the point And it was to point the way to that heavenly sanctuary. The end of the shadow was over. And then in a few years, in AD 70, the whole temple's going to be destroyed. It was over. That was done. Because the one whose shadow it was has entered into the true tent. And the question we ask now is, what is our high priest doing? We could say many things over and over and over there are so many We know that he is seated, which means that his work on earth is finished. But it says he is mediator of a better covenant, enacted on better promises. What is a mediator? Well, a mediator in this case is one who guarantees the covenant. He is its pledge. And as such, he secures its ultimate success. Jesus guarantees. The success of the covenant, that's what a mediator does. Remember several weeks ago when we talked about the Abrahamic covenant and we talked about how those pieces were placed and, and the, the flaming torch went through, meaning that only God went through the pieces that Abraham never went through? That's Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He walked through those pieces when he died on the cross. He completed that. He kept the covenant. He kept our part. He kept God's holiness and He kept our sinfulness and paid for it all. That's what Jesus, as our mediator, does. He represents both sides. He paid it all. And He brings us near to God. But there's more. Because this covenant is founded on better promises. What are those promises? There are so many promises. It means that we can come near to God. It means also that the law is written not on tablets of stone anymore, but upon the hearts of God's people, which implies that we receive a new heart of flesh, that we will be teachable and changeable and pliable, not like we were. It means that the Holy Spirit is making us new, but the new covenant also promises that God will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. How could he remember our sins? They're gone. They're erased. They're paid for. When it's open and it has our name, there's nothing against us because Jesus paid it all. And Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. We could go on and talk about what this means. But it means surely there is nothing we cannot take to our great high priest. There is no time he's not praying for us. There is no way that anyone can snatch us out of his hands. There is no way that anything can interfere with his plans. But there's another promise. There's a promise that a throne's going to come down, and the king is going to be on that throne. And I see a throne, and on the throne is a king, and the king is Jesus. And all around the throne, people are bowing down, and they are giving him their treasures. There are loud cheers and clapping, clapping and bright laughter like a thousand waterfalls and everyone bursts out singing a new song. This is our king. This is the lamb who died so we don't have to. He is our rescuer, all honor and glory forever and ever. And every creature everywhere in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea joins in. And then from all around, a wide, immense, beautiful silence. And I see Satan, God's horrible enemy thrown down and defeated. And I see a sparkling city shimmering in the sky and glittering and glowing and coming down from heaven and from the sky. Heaven is coming down to earth. God's city is beautiful. It has walls of topaz and jasper and sapphire. The streets are paved with gold and gleaming pearl gates that are never locked shut. And where is the sun and where is the moon? They aren't needed anymore. God is all the light the people need. No more darkness, no more night. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all those things are gone. They're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. My friends, when I went and heard that useless, worthless sermon, there was not a mention of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Christmas Eve but that's not true in our churches and in our hearts because the Lord Jesus is interceding for us and he will never stop doing so and he will be praying and perhaps there were those in that church who didn't hear it that night but if he is their high priest they will hear it let me pray for it, Father um, The story is too high for us. We cannot attain to it. And we need Jesus to pray that our hearts would be enlarged. Receive all the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you cause us to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly. Father, we love you, and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.